It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons like Timbo, Richard, Bill, Bob, Robin, Andy, John, Billy, Brent, and Lou. Thanks so much for supporting the show. They became patrons. You can as well just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com, clicking the link at the top there, and you get exclusive content, you get the live streams, and you get the stickers. For real. Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome stickers proudly display them on your vehicle or put them on other people's vehicles. I'm not picky. Um, Alrighty. So during the pandemic, we have seen governments impose rules and restrictions over virtually all of the society and the economy. And we got more now, uh, now that the numbers, the COVID case numbers are going up and the hospitalizations are going up. And so now you've got governors that are, you know, uh, rolling back Uh, and going backwards in their phases and stuff. And you've got North Carolina reporters constantly asking the governor, when are you going to go back? When are you going to go backwards? You know, lock us down, more restrictions. Now, one of the untold stories, though, is how COVID has prompted a rollback of other regulations. And with vaccines that are now coming online, the question is, will these deregulation efforts continue. Patrick Hedger from the uh, Taxpayers Protection Alliance will join me in a minute. First, uh, I would ask you to uh, join the loyal followers and fans and clients and customers of General Equipment Rental. Head on over to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville and get uh, your next power tool. Or if you just need to rent one, particularly like if you're doing... uh, contracting work, you're a small general contractor, uh, and you're looking for a source for rental tools, general equipment rental is where you need to be going. Okay, Family owned and operated for three generations. They've got all the tools, great deals on them. And they also, by the way, are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Um, So they also do work. uh, They do equipment service and repair as well. So one-stop shop for all of your uh, tool needs. And having the right tool to get a job done makes all the difference in the world. And if you enjoy this show, uh, I ask you to support the businesses that support the show and help keep it going. So General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com. That's the website, generalrents.com. Take a look at the Husqvarna auto mower. Uh, they still have some supplies left, and they're uh, offering 10% off on these things. Great idea for a Christmas present for the person who doesn't want to mow their yard. This thing just rides around the yard and mows all the grass for you all the time. And it's silent. And it looks like the Batmobile. It's like a Roomba for your yard. Okay? Generalrents.com. And think outside your toolbox. Joining me now is Patrick Hedger. He is the Vice President of Policy at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance. Welcome to the show, Patrick. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm well, thank you. Sure. So first, uh, start off by telling us a little bit about the Taxpayers Protection Alliance and what do you do with this organization? Yeah, absolutely. So we are a limited government free market advocacy organization dedicated to advancing the interests of taxpayers and consumers alike uh, here in Washington. Um, and, you know, we, we think that those voices are really left behind in a lot of conversations and, and we're here to amplify them. And I, I'm vice president of policy at the organization. So I make sure that everything we do is principled and uh, is found grounded in, in free market economics and, and limited government values. 
So I have to ask you, and I brought you on to talk about your piece defeating COVID uh, and how it means continuing to defeat onerous regulations. But I got to ask, have you found it more difficult? Well, I guess I should ask, start off with how long have you been in that role? Have you found it more difficult with uh, Republican presidents, Democratic presidents, Republican congresses and Democratic congresses? Well, you know, it's really a trade off. And what I tell people is, is though we are generally considered a right of center group, we are a nonpartisan group um, because what we are seeing in Washington today, the, the massive debts and deficits, the accumulation of regulation, there's blame to go around on both sides of the aisle for, for the level of spending that we're seeing and, and the, the catastrophic level of regulation that we've seen over the last few decades. There are good and bad aspects of, of all sorts of administrations, and we just try to play umpire calling balls and strikes as we see them. Yeah. So I noticed there's now a, a sort of, a, I don't know, a, a return to roots, if you will. I see a lot of Republicans now talking about deficits being bad, which I kind of thought was interesting. Um, but I will say one of the things I thought w- that Donald Trump did that I didn't think really any other, even Republican presidents would do in the first week in office, his executive order that uh, said, if you're going to do any new regulations, you got to do like you got to eliminate two, right, for uh, in exchange for that. And I think the Brookings Institute's been tracking this and it's over 300 regulations. So I think that's a win. Yeah, it's certainly a win. Uh, this administration has been an outlier in a good way in terms of regulatory policy. Now, there have been some regulations at the margins that, you know, are, aren't so great. But in general, the broad trend has been uh, not increasing new regulations and getting rid of a lot of a regulatory underbrush or ne- needless or never needed regulations or dated regulations. So uh, net positive in terms of the regulatory space. I mean, uh, again, spending is still out of control, um, but we're happy to see the tax cuts and we're happy to see uh, that there's been a real slowdown in the accumulation of regulation over the last four years. So uh, I'm I'm sure you are aware deregulation is probably not very many people's hot button issue, right? <laughs> you, it's mm-hmm. not exactly the talk of the uh, the cocktail party usually. So how do you get people interested in this topic? Well, you got to just explain the numbers to them because they're just as staggering as the numbers in terms of the debt and deficit, right? We have over 190,000 pages of federal rules alone. That's the code of federal regulations. I mean, we're talking about a book that's as thick as a two-story building. That is a ton of red tape. And, and, and when we're constantly dealing with arguments from the progressive left that, oh, unfettered capitalism has destroyed America. We don't have unfettered capitalism here. We have markets that are tightly constrained and entrepreneurs that are smothered by red tape and regulation. And when, again, when we're talking about 190,000 pages on the federal level alone, we're not even considering everything that's happening on the state and local level. So when people reach out and say, you know, the government really ought to do something about whatever problem, I promise you they probably already have. And there's <laughs> probably some outdated regulation on the books uh, that's causing more harm than good. I actually, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I, I used to be a reporter, and it was one of the things that really. Uh, soured me on a lot of my colleagues at the time, which was that uh, whenever they were they, they identified a problem in, you know, in society, there was some, you know, usually some tragedy that occurred. They would then run to a local elected official or a state elected official or even federal. And they would say, you know, what can you do? Can you pass some sort of a law? And then 
uh, there would be a public pressure campaign and some law would get passed and then they would, you know, win an award because they got something done. And I realized like they're part of the problem <laughs> because they keep they keep uh, sort of encouraging elected officials to layer on more and more regulations. And even if I assume it comes from a good place, it's still, you know, it's the, the, all these straws that eventually break the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases when I discuss any sort of policy change that's happening in Washington or at any level of government is the tyranny of good intentions. Right. I, I disagree with a lot of folks in Washington on what they're trying to do and the policies they're trying to push. But I generally don't think they're bad people. I think anybody that's pushing for free health care, as an example, probably just wants people to have free health care or f- access to affordable health care. There's nothing wrong with that morally, but we have to consider the secondary effects and the trade-offs and the cost. Um, we have to consider uh, some of the negative side effects that can come with massive new spending regimes and ask ourselves, is there a better way to go about this through voluntary action, um, through encouraging the private sector, or just really getting the government boot off of people's necks? So this gets to the question of constituencies, though, right? You've got people that are lobbying on behalf of interests, and then you have sort of the, I don't want to say the forgotten man, but essentially, yes, and they're not being really represented a lot of times in the discussion about a new regulation. Is that is that how you end up with so many of these regulations, that there there aren't people that are going out there and saying, whoa, 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 we don't need this, even if, as you said, there are good intentions? Yeah, the pro- one of the big problems we have with that is a lot of companies, especially the big ones, won't fight regulations the way that they should because they're the ones that are able to afford to deal with them. And then the regulation gets put in place, and all it does is serve as a barrier to competition and locks in the dominant firms in any industry. Um, so you did generally see this collusive relationship between the dominant companies in an industry and the regulators themselves. It's a sort of a revolving door here in Washington. And again, they're willing to accept the costs of these regulations because regulations ultimately are taxes, right? You're imposing a new cost on a business and they're okay with it because they know their competitors can't deal with it, but they can. Um, so we, we try to, we want to raise the profile of this issue. We call it regulatory capture and it's a really a huge problem. So anytime some, you hear somebody say, oh, well, we ought to regulate these huge companies um, because they, you know, they're causing all sorts of problems. You have to realize you might be playing right into their hand. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things, too, is the difficulty in getting a handle on the costs. And most people don't think in those terms because they don't see it. It's not something they see on their bill. Um, you know, the, the sort of the recent example is I, we went to a restaurant uh, about a, uh, a couple months ago when stuff was reopening and they and there was on the bill, it said um, non-cash fee. So they, they put a 3% upcharge on the bill for not paying in cash. Well, they never told us that that was going to be applied right there. It wasn't on the menu. Please pay in cash. And in fact, most restaurants didn't want cash, right? They didn't want to touch it. So uh, we saw this upcharge. And when I asked about it, they took it off the bill. But if it's not on the bill, if they had just put it in there, I never would have seen it. And they would have charged me and I wouldn't have been none the wiser. I wouldn't have been upset. Um, and so how, how do you how do you monetize that or, or, or I guess attach a dollar figure to it to make people care about the enormity of the problem? 
Yeah, um, two parts to my answer there. The first is that what you're really describing is is this the unseen and the seen costs of government intervention, right? We, you know, you will see a regulation that may do a little bit of good here or there, but you don't see the the constant or the dispersed cost of that regulation, right? You you never see the business that has never started because they can't afford to deal with all the paperwork before they're able to open their doors, right? Um, but you do see. Um, you know, some of the marginal effects of that regulation. So again, a concentrated cost and dispersed ben- or concentrated benefit and dispersed cost problem. Hmm. Um, but the way the way and that's the, the fancy economics term for it. But essentially, if you the, the simple way of putting it is if you if you're giving a dollar to one guy and you accumulate that dollar by taking a, a single penny from 100 people, who's going to be louder uh, lobbying on that policy, the guy getting the dollar, the hundred people losing the pennies. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's it, it that that problem plays out many many times over here in Washington. Um, the way you address it is most people have heard something to the effect of why has economic growth while when we are growing why has it been you know one one percent two percent GDP Wh- why can't we grow at three or four or five percent GDP like this country used to in the past and and. That, I think, registers with folks, right? They do sense that things are getting better, but they're not getting better as fast as they used to. Um, and really, that is correlates pretty strongly with the accumulation of regulation that we've seen at both the state and federal level. Um, you were spending more and more time and resources, right? Time is money. Just dealing with making sure we don't have uh, we don't run afoul of a regulation instead of actually investing and 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 building capital and creating jobs. More with Patrick in a minute. First, uh, Growers Hemp is the CBD product that I use. I take a couple of drops before I go to bed every night, and I sleep more deeply now since I started taking them a few months ago than I ever have before in my life. I was never a heavy sleeper, Uh, and uh, this changed all that, which is fantastic because now I live on like three hours of sleep. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But some days, (laughs) some days it's like five. So uh, check out Growers Hemp. If you've not tried any CBD oil product, um, Growers Hemp, is a, is the best place to start. Full spectrum hemp extract added to your daily routine. What are you looking for? You're looking for better quality of life, immune system resilience, lower tension, maybe a balanced state of mind and a positive mental outlook. Okay. The best quality at a price that's affordable is from Growers Hemp. How? Glad you asked. Uh, because they control the whole process. These are North Carolina farmers, family farmers, that uh, said, you know what? We can grow this hemp and we can control the process from seed all the way to shelf. And that means we maintain quality control and you get the best quality for the lowest prices. And you're supporting you're supporting local North Carolina farmers. Uh, so go to growershemp.com. Type in the promo code Pete and you'll get 20% off your purchase. That's growershemp.com. These statements, by the way, GovCo requires me to tell you that they have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions and other possible complications before using any product. Go to growershemp.com. Again, use the promo code Pete on checkout and you'll get 20% off. From North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp, it's about the hemp and not the hype. I'm speaking with Patrick Hedger. He's the vice president of policy at 
the Taxpayers Protection Alliance. And um, you had a piece uh, at InsideSources.com. The title of it is Defeating COVID Means Continuing to Defeat Onerous Regulations. And you write in this piece that the regulatory approach taken by President Trump and his cabinet secretaries saved the nation tens of billions of dollars in costs, a number estimated to rise to well over $200 billion once all actions are fully implemented and that economic growth is attributable to the relative restraint in imposing new regulations. Uh, and that may be forever untold, you say, but it is undoubtedly enormous, impacting big and small businesses. So the question, and I think you're kind of uh, encouraging Joe Biden to continue on this path, <laughs> I'm not very optimistic. But uh, why would are you optimistic, and why would you be? Uh, well, the, the the Biden the incoming Biden administration has talked a lot about adhering to the data and adhering to the science. And here, the data and the science are pretty clear, right? Economics, the dismal science, is pretty clear on this. That um, we've we've seen a lot of benefits from at least just a pause. The certainty that's been created in entrepreneurs' minds by the pause and the accumulation of new regulation, right? Just giving people a breather has really allowed for massive investment and growth. And we've seen uh, a really unprecedented rise in household incomes prior to the pandemic. So I would hope that they would look at those numbers, um, but really it's about highlighting what happened as we begin to transition back to what is likely to be a very heavily regulatory inclined administration and making sure people understand where the difference, you know, back to your point earlier, how do you get people to understand and see these differences? This is it highlighting that here at the end of the Trump administration, what went right um, and what is going to change and, and, and making sure people tie that difference in their economic feeling uh, to that change. Um, so, again, it's it's really important to highlight that regulation is a de facto tax. Um, and and while it may be well intended, um, you have to consider the trade offs. You have to consider if it's doing more harm than good. And you don't want to you know, you don't want to be too strict to the point where you're you're smothering economic growth, which in and of itself causes all sorts of societal problems. Yeah. And so the the. Operation Warp Speed, right? The response to the coronavirus and the the rapidity in which we now are seeing a vaccine developed. And I think what in another nine or 10 days, they're anticipating approval. And the governor of North Carolina yesterday, he's, they're, they're already talking about the distribution plan set for you know mid-month. Uh, and uh, it is astounding and for people who have never sort of thought about how long it takes a vaccine of all things to make its way through the regulatory approval process this is i mean i'll say it's unprecedented but i guess you would know better than i yeah it's certainly unprecedented when we're talking about any sort of new medical innovation whether it's a new drug or a new medical device we're talking five to ten years um, that is the usual time frame. And most of that is just making sure you clear the regulatory hurdles at the FDA. Um, and, you know, when you have a problem as widespread as COVID-19 or really any other disease that we're dealing with on a massive scale from heart disease to, uh, you know, lung cancer or something like that, where, you know, you have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of Americans dying every single year, the cost of those five to 10 years waiting for approval for new drugs begins to stack up very quickly. So it is it's a great thing that we're seeing the vaccine being uh, approved as quickly or headed towards approval as quickly as we're seeing it here in a year. But 
Something that we found out recently is that the Moderna vaccine was developed in two days. Hmm. And the rest of the time has been getting it prepared to pass muster at the FDA. Two days in January, they knew what the, va- the Moderna vaccine was going to look like. And the rest of the time has been getting it ready to clear regulatory hurdles. So even though this year that we've gotten this, va- this world-changing vaccine, which is, is great and it's better than usual, it should be celebrated, there's still a lot of work to be done. This is one of the things that I, I did not understand and it ties to the with the hydroxychloroquine with you know Trump was saying go take it and whatnot, and uh, there was a disconnect. I felt like are, we're either practicing battlefield medicine or we're not. And it, it seemed like a lot of people that that said things were very very bad and we were. They then resisted efforts to actually address what was so bad. It, it kind of sounds like the same thing here, right? If I mean, I understand there are concerns and, and worries and there's danger in approving a vaccine too quickly. I, I totally understand that. But if it is as dire as a lot of folks were saying, it seems to me like two days they figured it out. Well, let's go ahead and, and, and get it out there. So why did it take so long? I mean, in your mind, is that is that defensible because you're trying to guard against any of these dangers? I'm not sure it's defensible. I mean, the the issue is, is that across the regulatory state, whether it's FDA or EPA, we constantly see this problem over and over again, where there's a very narrow focus on what the regulation is intended to do. Right. And so in this case, it would be making sure that the virus doesn't have or excuse me, the vaccine does not have adverse effects on the patients that take it. But I'm not sure if it's happening in this case, but what we see generally in the regulatory process is a failure to consider the other things that are happening to the people uh, in the in the absence. Right. Mm. So instead of, you know, if you're solely focused on what the vaccine does to people and you're not thinking about what COVID-19 is doing to people, then you're going to have a significant delay in getting that thing you know, getting that uh, vaccine approved. Um, and, and so just narrowly looking at what the regulati- the regulation uh, or the rule is trying to do without considering, again, the, the alternative situations is a chronic problem here in Washington. And it leads to uh, potential costs exceeding benefits uh, or vice versa, depending on which way you're going. Uh, to the, to the detriment of the American public, it, it really is one of the hallmarks of sort of command control economics and, and a mindset and a philosophy, right? Where people think that they, if they just have enough experts weighing in or on the committee, that that they'll be able to to know all of these costs and to make the best decisions. But you know, not to get all Rumsfeldy in here, but there are unknown unknowns, right? Like things that that could, uh, people who died that may have benefited and would have loved to have tried that vaccine, you know, a month ago, uh, but were never given the opportunity. And it, it, that that delay, the costs of that delay will never be known. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Again, it's it's that seen versus unseen. And, and it's uh, I think you've raised a perfect point. It is that problem. It's the knowledge problem, right? There's so many different terms in, in the economic literature that we figured out decades ago. Um, that apply to the regulatory state and to command and control and to central planning and, and the folly of 
thinking that you can just gather the smartest people in the world in a room and think you're going to be able to accurately plan uh, for any sort of info, you know, any sort of instance or any sort of a contingent contingency. Um, that's just proven not to work. Um, there, there is an infinite amount of uh, knowledge out there and different situations occurring that that change the calculations, the cost benefits. And really what you need to have is to a greater balance of experimentation versus precaution. I'm not saying throw all caution to the wind, but when we're at a state where we're, again, in a normal situation, we're talking five to 10 years for drug approvals and, and a year uh, of drug approval, planning for drug approval is warp speed. Um, <laughs> there's something that needs to be, when the vaccine's developed in two days, something is off, that balance is off. And I think we need to uh, be erring more on the side of, of innovation uh, and experimentation versus hesitation. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I, I guess I just conjured up in my mind uh, the Spaceballs movie with ludicrous speed at the <laughs> with the idea That's that right. warp speed is still a year. That's a great point. Um, real quick, before I let you go, you, you mentioned two other ways. Um, the Trump administration has helped remove restrictions on telehealth and telemedicine, as well as repealing Title II regulations. What are those two areas? Yeah, so the first one I think is pretty obvious, um, you know, allowing people to have appointments with their doctors via Zoom or whatever video chat or, or via uh, the, via a tele telephone call. I think it makes sense. I mean, I mean, if you think about your last doctor's appointment, how much of it was a physical examination versus actually just discussing what's going on with your doctor? And and uh, and so there's a lot of it that can be done safely uh, remotely, and it's a great way to reduce costs too because you you can uh, you're not you don't you're not taking up the cost of going into the doctor's office and using using the resources in the office, and it also introduces more competition into the space. So that's a really great thing. And and it's provided a tremendous amount of flexibility for doctors not only to stay safe, but also be able to see a lot more patients um, as we see the surge in demand for healthcare because of COVID-19. Um, the other issue, Title II, that's something that we're lucky that uh, got addressed before this pandemic began. And Title II regulation of the Internet is commonly known as quote-unquote net neutrality, which was the government imposing rules that effectively treated your internet like a utility. Um, and that had a deleterious effect on investment. Um, but those rules were rolled back in 2017. And following that, we saw an uptick in investment. We've seen an uptick in speeds, right? So we have both more people getting connected to the internet and the connections that they have are better. And I think it's pretty obvious how important that has been with all of us sitting at home and working remote and shopping remote, getting things delivered and connecting with loved ones uh, via Zoom and other web chat apps. Um, it's been really important because there's been a tremendous a new surge of traffic to the Internet uh, and the, the increased investment caused by the rollback of regulations has made it the network more resilient. Patrick Hedger, the Vice President of Policy at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance. Is there anything else you'd like to add you think is important or interesting here for folks to know before we let you go? Yeah, well, I, I would say just go to our website, www.protectingtaxpayers.org, and keep track of everything that we're working on. We're working on all sorts of issues. If it, if it affects domestic economic policy, you can pretty much guarantee we're going to be weighing in on it. Sounds good. Thanks so much for your time. I do appreciate it. Thank you. 
Are you looking for some presents for the hard-to-buy-for person in your life? Well, go to oldgrouch.com or go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Walk right into their shop. It's open Monday through Saturday. It's on Main Street in downtown Clyde, and they've got tons of unique military surplus and related types of items like for example uh tim just got in uh the new old grouch um he just got in some limited edition survival outdoor kits uh these are on the website as a christmas special they feature a high quality swedish made mora knife it's got a fire starter a canteen a compass tons more all packed into your choice of either an ammo can or a nice shoulder bag which is actually a repurposed finish army gas mask bag the kits make a great base for an emergency survival kit so if you want to add to it later you're just getting started or this is a great outdoor adventure starting kit because it's got all the items that you should carry when you're camping or hiking anyway so they can ship these or anything else direct to somebody as a gift so you can send them out you never have to go into the store you could just send it out uh, when you make the purchase orders being shipped as gifts need to be in by the 18th though to ensure that they arrive by christmas eve so go to oldgrouch.com or go to the store old grouch's military surplus on main street in downtown clyde it's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun oldgrouch.com so uh, last night we did our live stream because it was a Thursday. So we did our live stream for patrons of the program, which, by the way, if you want to participate in that, it's very easy You go to the PeteCallanerShow.com and there's a link up at the top uh, and you can become a patron as well. We have a lot of fun. I had I had topics that I had set up and we didn't get to any of them because everybody wanted to talk about the stop the steal. Well, not everybody. I guess, well, I guess everybody did end up talking about it. Um, and there is this, you know, this drumbeat from a lot of folks on the right that a lot of Trump supporters that, you know, there was you know widespread election fraud that occurred. And um, we're just moments away from it being proven, which I am receptive. I feel the need to point this out every time we discuss this topic. I am open. I am interested. I am receptive to hearing the evidence that there is widespread fraud or some fraud exists uh, or uh, took place in this last election, because I am of the opinion that fraud exists in every election every year. There's there's going to be fraud. It's just logical. There are so many people voting, right? Two hundred million people voting. Uh, so, of course, bad actors are going to be involved in that process. And when you make politics uh, and, you know, control of the government so important in everybody's lives, then you you kind of induce the kind of bad actors to get involved in the process because there's way more to gain if they have power. So I am interested to hear the evidence. And so far, virtually all of the, quote, evidence that has been submitted uh, has not been persuasive. And I'm sorry if that offends people, but it hasn't persuaded me. Now, that being said, there was video that was presented yesterday in Georgia. I've watched several of the clips. I've read some of the accounts of it. This is pretty concerning. So if so, I would recommend, as I did last night in the live stream, uh, that if you if you believe like you already believe this, right, you're just trying to find the evidence to support your conclusion that you already have faith in that the fact that, you know, Trump had more votes than Biden did, and there's no way he could have won. If you're going to try to persuade me and others that your belief is true, then I would recommend you focus on 
a case, a state, an example, something like that, like, and become sort of an expert in that story. And that's not to say that you then abandon the story once you become the expert, then you can move on to other stuff. But if you're trying to persuade somebody, generally speaking, it doesn't sound like anything other than wild conspiracy theories. When you bounce around from state to state and mix and match all of these different stories, uh, it's just it, it becomes just uh, an overwhelming avalanche of misinformation because some of the stuff isn't true. Some of the stuff has been debunked and some of the stuff is legitimately concerning. So se- separate them out. And that's what I'm that's why right now I'm going to only focus on Georgia. And I know there are other states that are looking into other things. But right now I am only looking at Georgia. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Right. How do you uh, start upon the journey uh, of a thousand miles? It starts with the first step. Right. So here we go. Georgia. CBS 46 out of Atlanta actually covered this story, as they should, by the way, as they should. You'll notice it's not getting a lot of coverage, except for like OAN, Breitbart News, um, what's the other one, Newsmax, right? They're, They're doing all of this coverage. And by the way, like there is, this is one of the beefs I have with mainstream legacy media outlets, which is they will ignore certain stories and then they will... Uh, dismiss the coverage when it's only done by these conservative outlets, right? Well, if you're going to ignore the coverage, I don't think then you have a, have a leg to stand on to say, well, oh, that's only the conservatives covering it. Well, you could cover it too, right? You could go cover it and you could go at it from a skeptical point of view. I am all for more coverage of this stuff, not less, Okay, doesn't mean I'm going to agree with all of the coverage and I'm going to I'm still going to criticize the bad coverage, but I want more coverage. I want more examination. So Georgia, CBS 46 Thursday, a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee. This is at the state house level, uh, state Senate level, uh, heard jaw dropping allegations of alleged election fraud in Georgia. The supposed video evidence. Okay, now, all right, this is not supposed video evidence. This is video evidence. Now, evidence can be good evidence. It could be bad evidence. It could be strong. It could be weak. It could be hearsay. Like, there's all kinds of evidence, right? What's the old line from the Simpsons episode? Lionel hunts the the bad attorney, you know, like the, (laughs) the ambulance chasing attorney. And the judge says, you know, that's hearsay evidence. And he's like, well, that's a kind of evidence (laughs) because he was a bad lawyer. And it is a kind of evidence. So people who say there is no evidence, then like, I, I disagree with that because there is evidence just like the affidavits, right? People say there's no evidence. Well, affidavits are evidence. Now, are they strong pieces of evidence? Well, you're going to need more evidence to make that determination, right? If somebody says, here's my sworn affidavit, and then you find out that the person is like just an, uh, he's an escapee from a mental institution. Well, that affidavit probably isn't as strong as it would have been had the person, uh, you know, not been in the insane asylum moments prior to writing the affidavit, right? You know what I mean? So, okay. So it is not supposed video evidence. It is video evidence. It alleges proof of ballots being counted without oversight. And I've watched the video and it seems pretty clear that that's actually what did occur. Okay, so I don't even know if you need to slap the alleged part on there. You can watch them, take the ballots and start counting them, running them through the uh running them through the machines and they're doing this uh without any supervision, without any monitoring. 
and that's not supposed to happen. So it seems pretty clear that that's what occurred. That's just my take when I watched the video, and I would I would urge you to watch the video as well. There's uh, a reporter, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but she she tweeted out a series of clips that were very helpful, uh, so you don't have to watch the you know all of the hearing. You can watch these these chunks of the hearing in you know, easily digestible and viewable segments. Uh, her name is Tracy Beans, and uh, she is the editor-in-chief of under, sorry, UncoverDC.com. She's also the host of the Dark to Light podcast, uh, and she posted a series of these video clips from the hearing up on her Twitter feed last night. So uh, this uh, this video comes from the State Farm Arena, inside State Farm Arena, and uh there were no cameras that the Board of Elections was running and people because one of the senators asked during the hearing, uh, like, where did this video come from? Because we were told that there was no video, that the elections people didn't run any video. And the attorneys for the Trump campaign said, uh, yeah, this came from the arena itself. These are their standard cameras and they were rolling the whole time. And so they got all this footage. And so they've been going through the video footage and they've been watching it, looking for abnormalities and stuff. And lo and behold, they found some. So for the first time, according to CBS 46 Atlanta, the president's legal team, led by Rudy Giuliani, presented the surveillance video from the state's largest voting center, which which was in Fulton County, Atlanta which allegedly shows people taking out at least four boxes of ballots from underneath a table and then counting them after hours with no election supervisors present. Once again, there is no allegedly about that. You can see it happen, okay? Here is audio of the uh, campaign attorney, uh, one of Trump's attorneys named Jackie Pick, and she seemed pretty impressive to me, at least. And uh, here's which, and I've uh, you can hear the edits. I've left a little bit of dead air in between each of the clips where I've edited, so you will know where I made those edits. And so you'll see the lady in purple. You'll see two women in yellow in the back, which is where the scanners are there at the top, top right frame. And then the lady with the blonde braids also who told everyone to leave. Those are the four people who will stay behind. All right. So you're going to have there's she keeps saying four people that stay behind. And then there's a fifth person that comes in. Okay, so that's why depending on what part of the video you're watching, there's four or five people. But four people were there. And at the beginning of the video, you can see there's a whole bunch of people lined up on the back wall. They're in a roped off area. Those are the observers from the different parties and stuff, the Republicans and different campaigns and Democrats. They all send people to to monitor. And they're standing on one side. You got all these people milling around. They're all working and all these different tables and such. But the ones you're focusing on are the four people that stay behind after the room clears. And you've got blonde braids. This is who I'm calling them. Blonde braids. Uh, you've got two women wearing yellow shirts, so yellow shirt women, and then there's purple shirt woman. Okay, so those are the four people, the four women that stay behind. They are then joined by red shirt guy. He's a big guy with a red shirt. Uh, and he comes in and he moves some of the ballots over to, uh, I think, purple shirt or blonde braids. I think he brings them over. Yeah, he rolls a suitcase over to blonde braids, and then she counts them. But I didn't see him doing any counting. He came in, knew where the ballots were, or was told where they were because there's no audio, and then he he rolls one of the suitcases over and or these cases. I don't know if like when I say suitcase, they could be like one of those hard shell kind of 
carry case kind of things. I'm, we use them in broadcasting. A lot of broadcasters use this to transport equipment. Um, you know, it's like a hard shell kind of a deal. Looks like it does look like luggage, but um, that's what he rolls. That's what he rolls over. Okay. Speaking of rolling over, by the way, uh, if you roll over a lot when you sleep at night, uh, maybe try a new mattress. And uh, Mattress Man's got them. Mattressmanstores.com. Mattress Man has got four stores in Asheville, Arden, and in Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. They have local five-star delivery service. They've got great uh, deals going on right now, so you can get a new mattress for the holiday. Okay, Uh, maybe the kids are all grown up, they're out of the house, and you're looking forward to sleeping in on Christmas morning. Well, if that's the case, you want a great mattress, treat yourself to a Biltmore mattress made by Restonic in Fayetteville. So North Carolina made. These are the mattresses that are in the hotel and in the inn that are on the grounds at the Biltmore Estate. And if you buy a Biltmore mattress, you'll get a free box spring. That's a deal. Also, you can pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses as well. Maybe you want a queen-size gel hybrid mattress and you just want to get it yourself. They've got a $2.99 deal on a bed-in-a-box queen-size gel hybrid mattresses. Grab and go. $2.99, you're not going to beat that, folks. It's a fantastic deal for an awesome mattress at mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So back to the audio. Again, this is... Uh, Jackie Pick. She is an attorney for the Trump campaign. So the Republican observers said they were the last people to leave State Farm Arena, along with the Fox News crew, accepting those four people. So what you're going to see, look at the ladies in yellow. You'll see that they will begin just sitting still, doing nothing, ostensibly not working, because after all, they said they're going to stop counting. They will wait until the witnesses over there in that roped off area, the press and the observers, leave the room. Then you'll see them move into action and begin scanning ballots. Yes, keep your eyes on the lady in purple and the two in yellow and the woman in the blue apron with blonde braids because those are the people who stay behind. Okay, so what you're going to see happen at about 11 o'clock is once everyone is gone, coast is clear, they are going to pull ballots out from underneath a table. So do you remember election night about 11 o'clock? I do. Remember down in Atlanta, I actually was on the air with the Charlotte radio station WBT doing, you know, helping out with election night coverage. And I joined them. And and as I joined them, I had just seen this issue out of Atlanta. And I said, oh, they had a pipe burst or something. And so now they've stopped the vote counting. And Bo Thompson, who was the host of the coverage, he says, oh, well, we know they stopped counting. And I said, well, this is this is in addition. So there were two reasons, quote unquote, reasons that they had stopped counting. So do you remember states had stopped counting on election night? And we were like, why would they stop counting? You just keep counting all the way through. And then they resumed. Right. So what happened to prompt them to say, let's stop counting. And then as soon as they clear the room, they walk over and drag out four of these suitcases and bring them over to the four people that had stayed behind. And then they resume the counting. What would prompt that? This is not, and it is completely legitimate and it is not crazy to ask that question, folks. 
All right. So and you've heard my position. I started off by my disclaimer, like I am open to the evidence, but I have not seen any evidence of widespread fraud. This if this is in fact because like I got a lot of questions, obviously, about the chain of custody and who put them there and how long were they there and why did it happen the way it happened and all of that. And then, of course, you know, how many ballots were counted? Can we not isolate those ballots during that time period and find out um uh, you know where you know what ballots were cast for whom is that possible? Because this would be widespread fraud. Like if all of those ballots went for Biden, this would be widespread fraud, and that would actually affect the outcome of the Georgia race. Now that's just Georgia. Uh, you'd have to go into the other states as well, and you know I think other states are holding hearings also. But that's like each one of those suitcases, like six thousand ballots. We did not know when we first watched this, okay, is it normal to store suitcases of ballots under a table, under a tablecloth? Great is question. that how they run the place? That's And that's a really important point. Is that the norm? So that's the first thing you need to figure out. And so, because if you see this and you're like, that doesn't look right. Well, is it right? Is that the norm? Maybe this is what they've been doing all day. Maybe this is what they're doing under all the tables. So we went back and watched the video as a, a team of us. We don't see that. What we see is typically you're going to find ballots, you know, back in this corner or coming in through a door and then they get moved and circulated throughout the room. And it can get a little confusing because they have these black containers of ballots. They have the U.S. Postal Service containers. But what we were trying to do when we determined that there were being ballots being pulled out from underneath this table is, you know, what was the chain of custody? Where did they come from? Who put them there? Mm -hmm. When did they put them there? We only reviewed this at about one in the morning last night for a couple of hours. So we're going to need about 14 hours to watch it carefully because we fast forwarded through it several times um, and could not find that particular frame. But here's what we can tell you for sure. All right. So that's important. They can't find any video evidence of when the ballots got put there. That's important. One way or the other. That's important. Who put them there? How long ago? The table got set up at eight o'clock in the morning. So, you know, theoretically, the table got set up first. Right. And then the ballots got the, the luggage, whatever, got put underneath. Generally, it's not going to be the other way around. Now, maybe they, like there could be a rational explanation for it. Like, oh, you know what? I forgot. We stored a bunch of those ballots that came in earlier and we got overwhelmed. So we just stuffed them under that table over there. Oh, yeah. OK. So, yes. Well, we're not taking any new ballots. We can we can do those. That might be the explanation here. I don't know. Again, I'm reserving judgment, but I want answers because this looks bad. It looks shady and sketchy. At about 8 o'clock in the morning, we're going to roll this back and show it to you. There you go. So now they're going to start pulling these ballots out from under this table. This table, the black one, was placed there by the lady with the blonde braids at about 8.22 a.m. in the morning. So she put that table there. So the same person who's staying behind now, the same person who cleared the place out under the pretense that we're going to stop counting, is the person who put the table there at 8.22 in the morning. Yeah, I saw four suitcases come out from underneath the table. I think that's important. It's the same woman. I think we probably can figure out who she is. I think she should probably have to answer some questions. Next up here, you're going to hear two female voices. One is uh, the attorney you just heard, Tracy Pick, but she's going to be questioned by a Georgia state senator, Democrat, named Elena Parent. Um, thank you for being with us. We heard from the Secretary of State's office earlier, just a couple hours ago, that um, 
they've investigated this repeatedly, that they had a monitor on site the entire time. And frankly, this has been debunked for weeks by our Secretary of State's office. I doubt he's seen the video. Then I think the courts will probably be able to handle this once you present your evidence to them. As I'm aware, there have been about 40 lawsuits dismissed already. And according to the law of the state of Georgia, we do not have the power to submit alternate electors. The provision in the law is quite clear at, tw- at 21-2-501-F. Is there a question? Senator, <laughs> ma- ma- Senator, we'll ask questions. We'll have a time for statements at the conclusion. If we yeah, my that. question is, what? Uh, the question is, since this has been debunked repeatedly, what evidence can you give to us that counters what our elections officials have presented us with only an hour ago. You just saw it. Your officials need to watch the video. What about the fact that they say that they had a monitor there the entire time? I can't speak for them. Well, thank you. They did not have the video. They said they had a monitor the whole time. Uh, You're looking at the room. Uh, There's no secretary of state. Then maybe we should invite them back in. All right. Well, we may need to do that. Yes, I think you need to do that. (laughs) I agree. You need to do that. Bring the elections people back in. They said we had a monitor there the whole time. Well, I'm looking at video that clearly shows you do not have a monitor there. You kicked everybody out of the room. The, The woman with the blonde braids told everybody to leave. And as soon as they left, she went over to the table that she had set up and pulled out Four suitcases of ballots estimated to have each 6,000 ballots. And then they began running the ballots. They, which is interesting because, as I understand it, you're supposed to, they had like this whole operation of the cutters. They would open all of the ballots first. One group would open them. And then that takes a lot longer than the people scanning them because that's just a feed process, right? So, um, that was not done for these ballots. You can see them. They they don't go about cutting open all the ballots. They just start running them. So I, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, like I said, I got a lot of questions. Everybody should have questions about this. People who believe there was no fraud or widespread fraud should demand that this be gotten to the bottom of as well, because this undermines confidence. And I'm sure, by the way, if it turns out to all be a hoax, you're going to thoroughly enjoy spiking the football on all of the Republicans and conservatives and Trump supporters uh, who said that this was proof of fraud, right? So look at the bright side, guys. If you investigate it and it turns out that it's not true, then you get to dunk on all of your opponents. And wouldn't that be so satisfying for you? Almost as satisfying as selling a house immediately after putting it on the market. So satisfying because you're all worried about it at first. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And then you put it on the market with Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, and it's sold. That's how it happens. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state of North Carolina. She has buyers already lined up. That's how she does it. And if you're thinking about buying a home, she has homes in all price points. So give her a call at 828-333-4483. That's 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. Next up, another senator then asks about this assertion that the uh, the Senator uh, Elena Parent made twice there that the video has been debunked. 
Maybe a question for Senator Parent. I heard you say several times this has been debunked, but I also just heard that this video just appeared last night. So how could it have been debunked? Well, my response, not being an expert, um, is that these very allegations came up right away after the election almost a month ago and have been repeatedly discussed by the Secretary of State's office, including everything that we're seeing here. But is this and not there have been the, explanations for all of it. Is this not the first time well, this video has been shown? I believe that this is the yes. first time this video has been yes, seen. And it the, is. And the news correct. media it, hasn't seen this video or have not. They, they have not. Right. So why does why does the emergence of the video matter? Well, because before the Board of Elections said, no, we didn't kick anybody out and none of this happened outside of monitors. Well, now we have evidence that, in fact, those two things did occur. Right. People were told that we're done. We're, we're not voting anymore. We're not counting anymore. So everybody leaves. And then as soon as they're out the door, then they they pull these ballots out and they start counting them. That's a problem. That's a real problem. Now, maybe some of the Board of Elections people didn't know that. Like, that's possible as well. They should want to get to the bottom of it, too. Uh, here is, oh, by the way, I have their statement. Elections, this is from the Fulton County Elections Office. Elections are among the most important services delivered by counties across Georgia. Fulton County is home to 10% of Georgia voters. We take the responsibility of protecting the vote seriously and have invested every possible resource into ensuring a free, fair, and transparent election in compliance with all applicable laws. To date, we are aware of no credible reports of voter fraud or wrongdoing in Fulton County. Any credible report of such activity will be investigated and addressed as provided by Georgia law. That is not a denial. Okay, that's just them saying we're not aware of anything. We're not aware of any credible reports of vote fraud. Okay, well, you got this video now. Were you aware of that? No, they weren't because... The lawyers just got a hold of it and went over it the previous evening and uh, up until, you know, 1 or 2 a.m. Uh, and so they still are going through the video. So the Board of Elections should, in fact, be investigating now. You may have had a reason not to before, but there is no reason not to now. Governor Brian Kemp appeared on Fox News. You know, I called early on for a signature audit. Obviously, the Secretary of State, per the laws and the Constitution, would have to order that. He has not done that. I think it should be done. I think, especially with what we saw today, it raises more questions. There needs to be transparency on that. Uh, I would again call for that. And uh, I think in the next 24 hours, hopefully we'll see a lot more from the hearings that the legislature had today, and we'll be able to look and see what the next steps are yeah we are we're gonna see that's a wrap for this episode remember subscribe to the podcast thanks so much for listening i appreciate it don't break anything while i'm gone